take your Bibles now to John chapter 13. We're going to dive into God's Word. we got so much good stuff coming still. Uh, I, I love this day for what it represents, not just it being Sunday, but a day that we focus in on the love of God and this love that's so rich. Now, last week, if you missed it, we were talking about ecclesia. You, said, you were talking about the church. Yes, but not the church that man has recreated church to be. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in the mechanics and the traditions and the look and the feels and all that we get away from. And we're talking about ecclesia, the called out assembly of God's people to edify, build up, encourage, move forward, be all that God wants us to be. He said that that's, that he's going to build up. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's strong and it's powerful. But not the one that we build up. Not in our mindset, but what God has created it to be. It's different. But I started thinking about what is our identity as a church? I mean, that is church as a whole of what people think of, but also specifically is Fellowship Baptist Church. It's, it's amazing how people can get reputations for things. I thought about what is our reputation as a church? What are we known for when it comes to Fellowship Baptist Church? What is our rep? You know, when uh, our kids were younger, I remember it was funny. I was, they, they were telling me a story describing somebody in the church. And I said, I don't know who you're talking about. They said, yes, you do, Dad. That one guy, that older guy that's grumpy and complains all the time. And I was like, I don't know who that is, but I do not want that reputation. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants that reputation. Now, there, there's a new saying that we have. How many of you guys know, if you're on social media at all, what, who a Karen is? Raise your hand if you know who a Karen is. Okay. It's not a good thing, okay? And I'm going to apologize right now. I feel bad for anybody named Karen. It's like, it's like you're being a Karen. I know my mom named me that. I'm sorry. But it is the reputation that somebody got for being a, a, a jerk online, and, and they got recorded, and all of a sudden, now when you do something bad, you're being a Karen. It's the same thing as like, man, you're acting like Judas, or you're this, or you're that. It, it's a name associated with something very negative, what are we associated with? What is our identity as a church? What is your identity as a person? I mean, think about it. If I was to go to work, your work, and say, describe that person to me, what would they say? You know what I'm saying? Because your outstanding characteristics is the first thing that they're going to say. They're going to say, oh, he's a nice guy. Or, man, he is so faithful to be here all the time. Or he is whatever, or, or she's the sweetest person in the world. Or, oh, man, don't make them mad. I just know. That, what are you known for when it comes to this? John 13, 3, uh, 33, Jesus is talking to the disciples about their identity. He says in this verse, he's a little children. you got a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. As I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you, it's, I, I thought about this. I remember, and Jen and I could testify to this, of when we first started leaving our kids at home alone without getting a babysitter. But, you know, we thought that they were older. And you guys know what I'm talking about? Remember that really weird? It's like you, you take really short dates. You don't go anywhere, very far or whatever. You, you, you just like, can they handle this? Are they ready? You know, my kids were only 18, 20. And, no, I'm kidding. And they were... <laughs> You know, when they're, when they're younger like that, you're thinking, man, they're right on the edge, and I don't know. And then you, you, you walk up to them, and you say, okay, remember, you don't do this, and if this happens, and don't fight. Guys, please don't fight, and don't get into this, and don't argue about this, or whatever. and then you go to leave, and then you come back and be like, one more thing, I, and, and then we're seriously leaving this time. 
I'd imagine Jesus is like with the disciples. He's headed to the cross. And he's like, these things, I go in a place that you don't understand and the Jews don't understand this or whatever. But he said, I'm pouring my heart out to you guys and I've got to say this. So important. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. They also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus is describing their identity. Now, we would describe our identity like this. I am a Christian. The word Christian means to be Christ-like. I've, lot of, I've met a lot of Christians, just being honest, that were not Christ-like. They have the title. They, they, they had the rep of something total different, but they weren't Christ-like. There's a difference between being a Christian and truly being Christ-like. It's not just a title. But he's talking about the reputation. But he's talking about this love. But it's not the love that we think about. Because we think about Valentine's Day. It's like, I love you, so I give you roses, I give you flowers, I give you candy, I give you chocolates, I, you know, all those different things that we dote upon the other person that we care about. But that's, this is going so much deeper than this. So what was Jesus saying unto them as they were living? What was Jesus teaching them? Number one, he was saying our love is a reflection of God's love. Our love is to be a reflection of God's love. See, he said in that verse, verse 34, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, we struggle understanding the love of God. I, I actually did a series like two years ago called Driven by Love. You can go back. Uh, I, I touched on and we took the two boards and I was talking about, let me tell you about our love. And then I talked about God's love. And then I took the boards that, and I pulled them apart and said, they're not the same. And sometimes we, we begin to think and associate God's love with our love. It's like, you know, we put the limitations and the restrictions on it like we do. And God says, no, the word love is this. It's not the same. There's different levels of love. Love is this. And this is not a biblical definition. This is just the everyday definition. An intense feeling of deep affection. A great interest and pleasure in something. You see, I struggle with this. And, and we've talked about this before because it's like, I love my kids and I love coffee. And some days I love coffee more than I love my kids. And I'm just being real with you. Because my coffee is just faithful and kind and sweet and makes me happy. And sometimes my kids don't do that. It's not the same love that what he's talking about. He's, this, this love that we have has levels and limits to it. Say, no, it doesn't. Oh, absolutely, it does. If it didn't, we couldn't stand on an altar and say, till death do us part, I love you. And then 10 years later, get divorced. See, our love has limits. It has caps. It has restrictions. So there's different forms of love mentioned in the Bible. And I'm going to give this to you very fast because this is not my point but there's their eros love. This is the Greek words, okay? So there's different levels. Now, we just use the word love for everything. I love God. I love ice cream, okay? So we throw those out all the time. But in the Bible, there's different Greek definitions that break it down. That eros love is a sexual love. It's a love of emotional involvement based on body chemistry. Then there's storge. This is a family love, a bonding love. This is how somebody can be pregnant and that mom is in love with that baby that she's never even met. Let me just say this, that mom would give her life for that baby. 
that she's never met before. That's, that's that love that he's talking about there. Then there's phileo love. This, this is where we get the, the name of Philadelphia. It's the, the city of brotherly love. That's what it's talking about in this passage. It's, it's, it's to be a, a friend. It's, it's to have affection for things. And you can have friendship with your neighbor. To get home and be tired after a long day of work. And then you see them carrying in things to their house. And let me help you with that. What is that motivation? It's a brotherly love. I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to help you through this. There's one more in the Bible. This is not shocking to anybody. That's the word agape. It's a totally different kind of love. Look at verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Agape, agape. So also love one another. Agape. It's agape love. What God is introducing is not our love. God was telling us to love each other with the love that comes from God. Which literally, if we're saying the love that God said that we should come out of us towards brothers and sisters in Christ and on Facebook and in the world that we live in, this love that we're talking about is divine. Now, let, let me put it like this. If this is a divine love, this is a love that you can go into the world and you can go into places and you can get on dating apps and you can be all over the place. But when you step into God's people, there should be like a shock factor of like, whoa, what, what is this? This is, this is different. I'm not used to this. This is, this is not, I'm not used to this. It's, it's like being outside in the cold. And I, I use this illustration a lot. I love this visual of something that you're, you're cold and you're freezing and everywhere you go like that. But when you walk into the house, there's a change of atmosphere because the heat is on and you've got a fireplace going and you walk up to that fireplace and you're saying, whoa, wait a minute. There's something powerful happening and it comes and radiates out of that and it changes the atmosphere. God's love should change the atmosphere of your attitude. God's love should change the the attitude of a church, the attitude of a marriage, the attitude of our lives. It's powerful. You see, if we're defining God's love, it still has the basis of the basics of understanding of love, which is an intense feeling or deep affection. God has an intense feeling and affection towards us. That's why he pursued us. That's why he went to the cross. It's a great interest and pleasure in something. God takes that in us. But God's love is not based on feelings or emotions, but based on his character. Our love changes. It's up and down. I love you. I'm breaking up with you. It's like, what? (laughs) Wait a minute. I thought we were in love. It's like, I don't like you anymore. And that's how people can be romantic one minute in, in a relationship and be arguing like crazy the next. It's based on feelings and emotions and it's up and down. God's love does not have levels or limits. Our love does. Say, my love doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. Let me prove it to you. How many of you have one of these? And if you have any social media on there, it's like you can go up to a brother in Christ. Dude, I'm so thankful I get to serve with you. Man, we're praying together in life group. We're having a great time. Man, we serve together on the Easter drama together. Man, we, 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 you helped me move into my new house. Dude, you were there for me. I love you. Do you see who he voted for? Is he, is he an idiot? And all of a sudden, that whole love is like, I don't, I'm not going over their house. I'm not going over their party. He's an idiot. I can't stand him. Da, 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 da. What happened? Our love has limits. 
God's love is unstoppable. 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God. If you don't have this kind of love, you don't know God. He that loveth not knoweth not God because God is love. God is agape. It's not something he feels. It's not just something he expresses. It's not just something that we read about. It's who he is. God is agape. God is the unstoppable love, unconditional love of God. How do you explain that? Well, the Bible actually explains it. And let's just take kind of a side road here and just break down what love is. And I'm, I'm just going to give you a sample of this because if, if I went all the way through this, we'd be here all day. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 34. I'm just going to take two words out of here and demonstrate this. Charity, it's another word for love, and I'll go into another time about the difference between charity and love. It's really cool that the dynamics there, but it's another way of saying love suffers long. Another way to say it, we, we understand suffers long. Man, I mean, do we have to do this for X amount of time? I have to endure this ride or whatever. It suffers long. But another way to say it is love is patient. We read that in other parts of the Bible. Love is patient. What a weird way to describe love. Let's just be honest. Because today is Valentine's Day. It's the day of love. And what do you do on Valentine's Day? You buy them stuff. Man, I went to Walmart to buy Jenny a card for Valentine's. That is such a racket. I am telling you guys, you can go to every card on the thing. One's for your kids, one for your dog. I mean, you just, all these different cards, and they're just normal cards. You get to the ones that are for husbands to buy for their wives, no joke. They're all wrapped in plastic, and they all have these different things because they're charging like $8.99 for a card. She's going to read it and throw it in the trash. Nine bucks right there. That is a Chipotle burrito down the trash. And I'm thinking, why do they do that? Why, why, why do we get suckered into that like that? Because of the fact is that they know us guys will be in the doghouse if we don't come home with a car so they can raise the price up to whatever they want. And because we have to pay it. It is sabotage. It is it's blackmail. It's, and I'm not saying, I'm, okay, babe, I buy you cars because I love you. And when I do the homemade cards, that's just because I, it's, it means more, okay? God doesn't describe the love of God as just something you get. Because he could have said, for, for, for love is giving. And guys, love is a product because generosity is part of the love of God. Generosity should be part of the love of you, especially your spouse. To give and take care of them should be part of it. But it says suffers long. You see, suffers long at the root of love. The very first thing that he says is the power or ability to endure that which irritates you or bothers you longer than you could normally do. Listen to this. It means that you give them a chance because you know that we all struggle. It means you don't write them off. You don't click on friend. You don't ignore you don't treat them bad. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm not even saying they're sinning because they're different than you. But I'm saying that we get irritated so easy with people. Love has to care more about them as a person than you care about the words that they said that offended you. 
Because you get to those words and you go, no, that irritates me, but I'm going to still keep going with my friendship because my love for them, my drive for them doesn't have limits because as Christians, when God saw us as his people, he saw the value in you, not just the sin or the problem that you had. So he kept pursuing. He kept going. The world is lost in sin. The world will keep doing things that bother you. You cannot write people off. Say, I don't. Well, your face does. Your comments do. Your body language does. Let me say, if love suffers long, does not mean that we ignore sin. Have any of you have ever, as parents or whatever, grandparents too, been woke up by having somebody like, tug on your bed or whatever, and then you hear the words, I threw up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mommy, I just threw up. It's, it, that's interpreted, Mom, I just puked all over the place. I, I know it's Valentine's Day, and you're going to say, what did he talk about? Anyways, it's, it, it relates, I promise. But, but your kid gets up, and you don't st- go, get out of bed, and you stare at them and say, you know what, I told you not to eat that candy before you went to bed and I knew it would give you a sour stomach and you did this to yourself. You're saying I don't do that because love sees beyond the sin or the problem. It doesn't ignore sin because I promise you with all that rope in your house, you're not going to ignore it. But you're going to love your kid through it. So what do you do? You get up and you pick up that kid you know what I'm saying? And you bring them in and you set them down in the tub and you begin to clean it up and you begin to deal with this. You're not ignoring the sin because it's not helping the person to ignore the sin, but you love them more than you love the sinner. No, 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 no. You love them more than the sin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You deal with the mess. You don't stop loving the kid. You see, God came to deal with our, us as people, but he didn't ignore our sin. God said love is patient for a reason. You see through the problem and you see the value of the person. We need to see the world around us and what they're doing wrong, but we need to not let our anger outdo our compassion because when it does, we lose our influence. If God did this, if God would have gotten so angry with us because of how we were acting, he would have threw the cross on and walked away. But the Bible says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't stop loving us or helping us. The Bible says in that next verse, or a couple of verses down in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, at the end of the description of what love is, it says that love never fails. So think of Jesus carrying the cross. Think of that visual of what it was as he was carrying the cross to Calvary and as he's going to Calvary and he's being spit on and lied and, 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 and abused and his, bowl, uh, his beer pulled and everything else that was going on there. And he never said, I'm done. I'm, I'm, that, that's enough. You know what? I, I love you guys, but man, I have limits. You just, you just made me mad. I'm, here to, I'm, done, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. You know what it was? His love for us kept pushing through. His love never stopped. His love never gave up. and never walked out on us. and pursued to the end because he cared about us. He loved us. You see, patience sets up the next part because it says charity suffereth long and is kind. It's kind. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. We're talking about when Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. That doesn't mean when we get together and we high five and shake hands. That's not, people are going to come in here and go, whoa, I've never seen such love before. It's not going to be like that. It's a matter of they, they get around us and all of a sudden we see that we can be different in different aspects of our life and we can disagree on things, but we still care about each other regardless of the fact that we don't agree with each other. And it's not just a matter of putting up with them. Love is kind. Love, being kind, follows love is patient. It helps people in the middle of their mess. By the way, you want to know what that looks like, look at the cross of Calvary. Love helps and is kind. The word kind means to show oneself useful. That's what kindness means. It means to show oneself useful. Jesus even said it like this, love your enemies and do good to them. He didn't just say love them. He said love them and do good to them. Man, you say that's ludicrous. In this world it is, but that's why we're talking about a divine love and not our love. Because our love doesn't do that. And by the way, that's the whole illustration of walking to a house and they feel the fire, they feel the heat, and they're like, what is this? This is so different than what I've come out of. This is so different than what I, because they're experiencing something that's not normal in the world because there's a power that we're tapped into that is greater than the cold. That is the illustration that he's giving us. The root word for the word kind in this passage means to furnish what is needed. Let me go back to the the kid throwing up. I know it's a, that's a gross illustration, is it? Is it? That's all right. I'm okay with it. So you pick up that kid and you bring them in and you set them down in the bathtub and, and you say it's gross. But by the way, so is sin is gross. You know what I'm saying? What Jesus did and what he died for and what he took upon himself and the fact he was scourged and, and, and belittled and, and all the things that he went through was gross. You stay in the tub Dad or mom is going to go clean it up. It's going to go in your bedroom and change the sheets and get fresh pajamas. I'm going to bring them in and pull you out, dry you off, kiss you on the cheek, put that in there, carry you in there, tuck you in, give you a drink, and put you back to bed. See, it's not I'm just going to put up with you as you go through this. I'm going to help you through whatever you're going through, and I'm going to be kind and loving through it. And the result of it is like, why are you doing this? And even if they don't deserve it, remember there's grace and there's the mercy of God that he gave us, and we love him because he first loved us. Watch what starts happening when we start showing the true love of God to other people. This is what he's talking about. This this is deep affection and care that you have for that child. Jesus had deep affection and care for us. He met our needs in the middle of our mess. 1 John 4, 9 is also the writing of John. And it says, and this was manifested. It demonstrated the love of God towards us. And how? Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's what he did. In John 15, 13, he says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. You see what we're talking about, the love that we're trying to spell out and explain in this is far different than anything that happens in the world. And by the way, what we're talking about is the love that should be experienced in God's family. Verse 34 again, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. 
This love that he's saying, God said, I'm going to set the standard. It's more than high fives and how are you and sharing cookies and life group. Man, no, this, this is talking about being part of each other's mess and part of each other's lives to carry them and love on them in a way that they're not getting anywhere else. Our love is to be a reflection of God's love. Number two, God's love should be the DNA of the church. The very makeup, the very DNA of who we are, it should be natural in the church. Look at verse 33. We read it, but I didn't point this out. Notice the opening statement that he said. He's talking to them and he says, little children. Now, that almost sounds like he's belittling them. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like he's like, talking down to them or something like that. He's, he's not talking down to them. He's not trying to treat them like they don't matter or they're insignificant or whatever. It was a, it was a term of a relationship. It was a term of endearment. endearment. He, was, he was talking to them about being born again and born into the family of God. In 1 John 3, 1, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. God didn't just save us to be his servants. He saved us to be his children. It's a family. It's a connection of what he's saying. What he's talking about is you need to act like you're my kids. You need to act like that you have the DNA and the very makeup of the Spirit of God living inside of you. A new commandment that I give in you, that you love one another as I have loved you. We're born of God. We carry his DNA. We carry the love of God. You think about this. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, the word Spirit, is God. And I was talking about it at the beginning of it, the fact that God was going to carry out the mission of God. His, his bodily form, Jesus said, I'm going to reach the world in all this. And then his body went up into the earth. The Spirit of God came down to dwell inside of us. So look at this. We are the body of Christ. The Spirit of God living inside of us. So here I am. If we're collectively come together as the many pieces forming together the love of God, each one of us different, drastically different, but together we form the body of God or the body of Christ. What makes us so powerful is the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. Now, I know some of you guys are like, I'm not that soft, you know, pansy kind of guy. I'm not just going around loving people like that. I, you know, I'm a real man. I tell them I cut people off and tell them where to go and you might be, that might be who you were of the old man, but let me tell you, when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, he begins to change you. If you're not being changed by the Spirit of God, you need to go to have a reality check of when you got saved. Because a powerful force stepped into your life and begins to convict you and change you. And when you do cut people off and you say the wrong things, God gets a hold of your heart and says, that's not who I am. It's like when you have a little kid in the store and he's acting like a brat. You turn to your kids and say, you, my kids don't act that way. You know, like, I know mommy. You know, it's like, we don't do that. You represent me. We don't act like brats. God's telling us, my kids don't act that way because you are part of my DNA. You live out who I am. Mark, do you got a second? Greg, do you got a second? Can, can you guys run up here with me for a second? We're talking about the assembly of ourselves together. Last week we were talking about the church and the assembly and things like that, what it, what it was talking about, what it was meaning for us to come together. This is it, okay? And I, and I know I'm not re-preaching what I talked about last week, but it's the, it's the coming together. So the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That is the command for us to come together as a church. Life group, worship service, coming together, worship, sing, preach, 
uh, you know, teach all these different things that we do. But the verse that comes before it explains the why. And let us consider one another to provoke unto, what is the next word? To love and good works. I want to provoke you. So the idea that we're to do is the Bible is talking about we're to stir up the love of God inside of each other. Because if you guys are like me, we've all gone through the week looking at the news and seeing the different things and being irritated by people. And we battle with our flesh. All of us battle with our flesh. And it makes me irritated. It makes me irritated at people. It makes me irritated at, uh, you know, outsiders. It, just the world in general, I can walk around with this anger. But the Bible says that we're to provoke each other to love. Now you, Greg, you're saved. Mark, you're saved. We're, we, we know God, which means we all have Jesus Christ. We have the Spirit of God inside of us. But the Bible says that we're to do this. I'm to provoke you guys. Right now, that's what I'm trying to do even by preaching. We come together, and I'm going to stir up the love of God inside of us. I'm going to provoke you to say, man, you need to love Kristen. You might come to me and say, man, we're not getting along. We're arguing about the color of the kitchen or whatever. It's just like it happens. And then it is real, man. It really happens. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to provoke you because all of us have weaknesses in our life. And I'm going to stir that up inside of it because it's already there. It's like taking a can of Coke. And you sit there and you shake it up. What's going to happen? It's the, the, the ability to make it come out is already inside of there through the carbonation. But sometimes you've got to stir it up. We do that. So what he was saying through this is we stir up the love of God. We, we have to provoke each other in, 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 through preaching and testimony. And even Matt coming up here in the morning saying, let's stand up. Let, let's sing these words. Notice these words. Man, God loves us and we need to love each other. What are we doing? We're provoking one another to love. This is where we come into a cool word in the Bible called fellowship. Now, this is the body of Christ. We come together. It makes up all these things. But we are made up of fellowship. First John, again, he was saying this, 1-6. If we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So he's saying, if you say that you are, are, have fellowship with God and you're not living out the things of God, you need to question if you have fellowship with God. But he takes it to the next level. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Our name is fellowship. The word fellowship means that we have communion. Let me come in between you guys. Let's do this. We have this. We are family. We're connected. We're, we're, we're different pieces coming together. We're different parts, but we come together. But we're connected through communion. The Bible has given this illustration of fellowship. And through this, we're encouraging each other. Say, hey, you need to love Kristen, even though she wants the kitchen to be pink, okay? You know, it's like we, 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 we push through these things, we stir up the patience and the kindness that is in there because naturally we get cold and distance. The fellowship that God gives us. Fellowship is to be the avenue to provoke each other to love. Fellowship is to be the place where we stir up the love of God. So when we're talking about, man, I struggle with this, good news, you're not alone. We all struggle with this, even though that my spirit indeed is willing, but my flesh is weak. So my spirit says, man, I want to be that loving Christian. I want to be patient and kind. But we struggle with it. So God's given us fellowship. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Love must be provoked by each other. That even though it's part of the DNA of the church, it's got to be stirred up. And God was saying, come together to do that. Love also must be experienced through each other. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. You guys know what's kind of cool? The word new here means to refresh. It wasn't new because the idea of loving each other has been all the way back into Deuteronomy. 
To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and mind. And the second one was on to it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. This idea of loving has been around for a while, but it was a new application that he was saying, I want to stir it up. I want you to love people the way that I've loved you guys. That's what he was saying through this. Should be something powerful in this place. Because I, I, I want to be really real and practical as I say this. The love of God should be very evident in any church. It should be really evident anywhere the Spirit of God is. Which literally means if people walk through those doors or the doors on the side, they should walk into something that is different than anything else in the world. Like walking from the cold into the heat. There should be. And by the way, if there's not, something spiritually is wrong. Because the Spirit of God stirs us up to love each other, to be patient. You can have my seat. How are you? The kindness of God coming out of us to make friendships, to make connections, to pull people in. This is so difficult right now. You know why? Social distancing, staying away. Don't shake hands. Don't do this. I I know it's difficult. But the spirit of fellowship should be real in here. Do you know why? Because you think about it. If the love that they're experiencing in me is the Spirit of God... This place should be the closest place to heaven on earth. And if it's not, because I'm so bent out of shape about what somebody said, and I'm not even coming to church or crossing to the other side of their church because I'm irritated what they said. That's why it's common language, and I don't apologize for this. I will tell you that I love you because I truly love you. And people, I'll come in here and people tell me that they love you. I grew up not hearing those words like that all the time, especially in church. Hey, man, I love you. All right, dude, you just made me uncomfortable. Something I tell my wife. I don't tell dudes at church, okay? But I'm telling you, there's something about the authentic love that we experience through each other. It makes us stronger. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is what it looks like, is love, and it's joy, and it's peace, and it's long-suffering, and there's gentleness in the church, and there's goodness in the church, and there's faith, and there's meekness. I'm not, I'm not a figure, I, I might be here for 50 years, but I'm not a big shot. I, I might be, I, I have temperance, I control myself, I, I'm going to be good to people, and it comes out in the atmosphere of this, but then all of a sudden we begin to come together, and we have so many pictures that I've posted on Facebook saying, man, this is family. Failures coming together and still loving each other is family. Being able to pray together and saying, I've messed up, and I've cheated, and I lied, and we stick it out, and we don't sit there and say, you're not one of us anymore. It's family. It's the love of God, and it keeps going. It's people that carry each other through, because I know you messed up, and I know you're not perfect, but neither am I, and one day it will be me, but I love you. I love you as my brother. My love doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. It doesn't turn its back on you, and all of a sudden, that creates what is the family of God and the body of Christ because it's love that unites us, not the superficial love that we see in the world, not love that gives up on people and unfriends people. We don't unfriend people just because we're mad at them. We seek them out. Man, I think we're on a different page and it bothers me, but I'm telling you, what Satan wants to do is that fellowship is he wants to push us apart because pushed apart is not the unity of God. If you want division in a church, you will not find the love of God in the church. And if you don't find the love of God in the church, don't look for the power of God in that church. It's dead. Get out of it fast. Because there's nothing that's going to transform lives. And we're talking about the world that is dying and going to hell because it's filled with that kind of love that gives up and walks out on people. It should never be evident in the church. 
say, well, man, I struggle with that. That's why we provoke. That's why we stir. That's why we encourage. That's why we come together. That's what we do. Here's the other thing. Love must be, love must impact the world. You see, it's stirred up in us and it comes out of us, but then there needs to be an overflow because the, the very essence of the, the John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Why didn't he just say God loved the world? And think about it. Have we said John 3.16 so many times that we've lost the power of it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The very impact of this is the fact that God came in bodily form to love and have compassion and grace and kindness and truth and mercy. We are to be God's love to this world. And we preach the message all the time, God loves you. Hey, God loves you. Hey, you know what? God loves you so much. And the world turns around saying, uh, where, where is this God that loves me so much? I, I hear you talking about him, and I know you have a relationship with him, but where is he? Where is this God? First John, again, same writing, same author. No man has seen God at any time. And they're going to be like, dude, I agree with you on that one. You come to work talking about your God, you stand around singing about your God, but I've never seen him. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. His love is perfected, demonstrated in us. Do you guys see what I'm saying? It's not a matter of just going into the world and preaching Jesus. It's going into the world with the love of Jesus where they turn their head and say, okay, that's different. We capture their hearts and minds. When Jesus died on the cross and we raise up that image at Easter and we're about to do that, Jesus will be dying on the cross right up here. Do you know why we do that? Because we're demonstrating the fact that God loved you so much that he stepped into your mess and never stopped loving you. Listen, I don't care where you've been, what your past is, what drugs you've done, what person you cheated on, what person you've stabbed in the back. I don't care what building you blew up or what drug you sold. God will never, ever, ever stop loving you. Never. God doesn't give up on us. And the very thing that God is talking about is the fact that this should be evident in the world through Christians that live this out. You know what I'm saying? It should be our rep. Our love is to be the reflection of God's love. Our love, God's love, should be the DNA of the church. And let me close with this. God's love is to be our identity. So I always start, we'll end with this. First John, or John 13, 35, by this. By this. Shall all men know that you're my disciples, by this, the love of God, the patience and the kindness that comes out of our life, people are going to know that something's different. By this, I'm not, I'm not talking about the traditions that you have. I'm not talking about the age of your buildings. I'm not talking about your curb appeal. By this, I want an identity. I, I, I want it lived out, not just symbolized, but lived out that we back this up. Let's get practical. I asked the question online. I just did this for fun. What describes us as, as a church family? This, what is our reputation? People answered this and said, this is what I know about us. We're family. We're caring. We're home. Man, all these different words. And we did this a bunch of different ways. You've heard some of it in the video. The number one thing that was said in the comments was loving. 
We are a loving family. And I hope that's evident, not, not because we try to manufacture it, because it's just the natural DNA that comes out and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. We have gone through so much in the past couple of years. Our world has been flipped upside down, and the world needs hope. The world needs answers, and the world needs the love of God. 